Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. We're your hosts, Janine and Naomi, and today we have a special guest with us, Tammy Gustafson. We are so excited to have her here to talk about her journey and discuss with us how wives heal after betrayal. So a little bit of a background or introduction to Tammy. So she is a licensed professional counselor and she specializes in helping women heal from the bad things that happen to them so they can move forward in life with purpose, joy, and confidence. And she has a particular passion for helping wives heal and move forward who have experienced sexual betrayal trauma. She has a master's degree in counseling from Denver Seminary. She is EMDR certified. She completed the certificate program in traumatic stress studies under the trauma expert Bessel van der Kolk and is certified in neurooptimal neurofeedback. So in addition to counseling, Tammy's also a speaker, a writer, and a life coach. She's the founder and executive director of Live Free Counseling in Denver, Colorado, and has been counseling for over a decade. She enjoys running. She's a horse lover, an avid traveler who loves roaming the streets of Paris and adventuring with her husband and four children. She owns a Harley named Stella and loves the mountains of Colorado. Welcome, Tammy. We are so glad that you're here to join us and talk with us and share your experience with us. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Is this a Harley Davidson? Yes. You are a biker. That's so awesome. (laughs) Is your husband a biker as well? No, I actually got into Harleys for my dad. He's a Harley guy. So does your husband ride on the back of your Harley? That's what everybody asks him. (laughs) No, he doesn't. (laughs) Oh, that's so fun. We met Tammy a couple of months ago and really felt like she would connect with our listeners. So we invited her on the podcast today to share her personal story and to discuss how wives heal after betrayal trauma and a little bit about her journey. I just feel like she has the ability to help women through this because she herself knows exactly what we are going through. And that's, I think, what makes her really unique because she has experienced betrayal as well. So we are going to introduce you to Tammy and we're going to jump right in. So Tammy, tell us a little bit about you, how you met your husband and how things developed up to D-Day. Yeah. So I met my husband at church. He was the youth pastor at the time and I was a volunteer and we got to know each other through service with the youth group. So we eventually got married and we leading up to D-Day, gosh, D-Day was almost nine years in, nine, 10 years. And during that time, I naively and maybe arrogantly thought we had the perfect marriage. I thought everything was good. I thought we were happy. I never caught him at anything. I trusted him. I didn't suspect him for anything. So 10 years into marriage or almost, we had three kids at the time. 
and we were about to move to middle of nowhere, Nebraska, for him to take his first senior pastor position. And life blew up shortly into that time when he was a senior pastor. Looking back in that relationship, did you notice any red flags? I didn't. Looking back, I see a lot of red flags. In the midst of it, of life, I did not. I didn't see red flags before we got married. I knew he had looked at porn in his past, but I was under the impression that what guy hasn't seen porn, almost, I, oh, I hate to say it, but almost the boys will be boys mentality. And I believed the myth that marriage would fix everything. So I went into marriage not really having any flags at all. He had a mask of purity. He had a mask of being a good guy. And he showed me prior to marriage really what he wanted me to see. And, and I believed him and I trusted him. So I didn't have flags going into marriage. And going through the first nine, almost 10 years of marriage, I didn't have any flags then either. Uh, I never caught him looking at porn. We didn't even have internet because we were just going to play it safe and not have that around. He wouldn't be tempted, but I really did not suspect him. And again, looking back now, and Nathaniel and I talk about this quite a bit, there were a lot of flags along the way, but I didn't have eyes to see any of them. I didn't know what to look for. And Nathaniel was the most healthiest guy I think I'd ever dated. He was the most emotionally available that I had ever dated. So there were many things from my background that I think really muted my ability to see the flags that were there. You didn't notice them while you were in the midst of it. What are the signs that you saw as you look back now from this vantage point? Looking back, he needed everybody to like him. He was charming. And if people didn't like them, then he vilified them. And honestly, I saw what I interpreted as strength and protection was actually a form of arrogance and pride on his part. But I really wanted that strength and protection. So I think that's what I saw. And I don't blame myself. I, there's no way I could have known. The other things that now looking back, I thought he was emotionally available, but as time went on, really, he did not know himself. He did not know his emotions. He was not connecting vulnerably with other guys. And when I would want to ask him questions, like when we would go on a date, I'd want him to ask me questions and I would want to ask him questions and he would shut down and I didn't understand what was going on. And there was some gaslighting in the past that Again, then I had no idea what that was, but there was blame shifting that was going on. There was some minimizing and all of these signs that I just thought were normal. We're now looking back. I can see them much more clearly. Yeah, that makes sense. When you have the vocabulary and you understand the terms, it's much easier to recognize. And, and I can look back at my situation and see the same things where I had no words to describe what was going on. And now I can say, oh, that all of this was happening. I just didn't know. I didn't have the vocabulary to, to attach to it, to understand it. And I think there are a lot of ways that we unintentionally set girls up to get hurt. And there's a lot of messages I know in my faith background of 
just marry a good Christian guy, preferably one who hasn't had sex before marriage, and you're going to be fine. And marriage is going to fix everything. And just follow him and let him lead and everything's going to be okay. So there were a lot of messages that, again, were not meant hurtfully, but it did cause a lot of hurt in the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We could have a whole podcast about that particular topic. (laughs) And we probably will try to (laughs) tackle that at some point. There's a lot to be said about that. Oh, for sure. Yes, indeed. So what did D-Day look like for you? D-Day, I always think of D-Day as January 2015. But in reality, it was a little over a year before that, that the first hint of things came to my awareness. So November of 2013, we're about to move to uh, this town for him to become a senior pastor. And he asked about the idea of getting smartphones. We didn't even have smartphones at that time. And that just kind of hit me wrong because I thought we haven't gotten smartphones. We haven't had internet so that you wouldn't be tempted with porn. Like there was just something in my gut that said something's not quite right here. So we're actually on a date and I flat out asked him for the first time in our marriage, have you looked at porn since we got married? And he said, yes. And I was shocked because again, I had never suspected him. I had never caught him. And so he told me a tiny bit. It had happened a few times. Blame shifting there was after one of our kids was born. And then that was it. And man, the physical effect of that on me was it's just staggering, the shaking, the feeling like you can't breathe. I couldn't sleep all night. And in the end, he cried. I cried. He said he was sorry and wouldn't, wouldn't do it again. I believed him. I forgave him because I thought I was supposed to forgive him right away. And we moved on and we moved away to the middle of nowhere, but it didn't fix anything. Like it low grade festered all that time. And I was always afraid it would happen again. So finally, almost a year later, I picked up the book Worthy of Her Trust by Jason Martinkus. And I got two copies. I found this book and I thought, wow, maybe this will help finally heal this low-grade fester inside of me. So he had a copy. I had a copy. Our plan was we were going to read one chapter a week and move through it. The first day, the first chapter, January 2015, everything blew up. And to be honest, I don't remember a lot of that night, but I remember that I caught him in a lie. And then I caught him in another lie, and it just started cascading. And then it started to escalate. And the moment I will always remember is we had moved into our living room area, and the table beside me was full of our laundry, of onesies and little toddler clothes and towels folded on the table. And he was standing across from me framed by a doorway. And that was the first time that I swore at him. And I told him, this is not my fault. This is your fault. Get your stuff together. And that was the start of it. That was the turning point. That was the breaking point for him and me that we have a serious issue. And then from there, we went through probably three months of torturous drip disclosure till he finally got it all out and got the truth. And and we've been healing ever since. 
I love your boldness in yeah. what you chose to do, because I think that there are women who really fear confronting this in their marriages because they don't know how. And I, I just love how you stood in conviction and you knew exactly what to do. I had no idea what I was doing, to be quite honestly. <laughs> but in that moment, you did. You confronted the issue. There was a clear moment where this is not okay. This is your issue. I think some women are just not that bold. They kind of tiptoe around the issue for years and years and suffer. I highly recommend that when women are ready, they face it head on. And Nathaniel will say now, fast forward, Nathaniel did do the work and we are still together. But in that moment, as he tells that story of that moment in time, he says the thing that broke him is that I swore at him because I had never done that before. <laughs> and it shocked him so much of going, oh my gosh, this has impacted her so deeply. Like I have to look at this. It was actually that confrontation that was one of his breaking points. But one thing I did early on, and I don't know how I came to this, but it did, is my approach to our healing from that point on is that life stops until this gets taken care of. I am not going to pretend that things are okay. I'm not going to pretend that I'm okay. I'm not going to pretend that things are okay at church. We are not going to move forward in our marriage until this gets taken care of. And you will either get clean or sober, or we will be divorced, one of the two. But life stops until this is taken care of. And I'm thankful I did that because what I know now from not only walking through it, but walking so many other women through it is that this pain and this issue will fester as long as you let it. It is so patient. And just like for that year that I let it low-grade fester, it will low-grade fester for decades if you don't turn and face it and deal with it. So I had a season of very much not being okay, but I'm really glad I did. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think what you said earlier was profound because I think you're right that everybody has a point where they're ready to face it. And some for some that comes right away. And for some that takes time to build the courage and to build that fight, if you want to call it that, to build the fight in you. And yeah, it can be hard. It's definitely when you're ready, you know it and you're ready. And you cross a line, like you said, where you're like, we're not moving forward until this is taken care of or we're divorced. There's no other way right here. Yeah. And I agree. It's a profound thing to turn and face it. And there's no shame for those who are being like, I need to gather that strength and courage because it's a big deal. Oh, it's a big deal. We have all been there. We know it. It's a big deal. Yeah, for sure. I was one of the long haulers. So I understand that. As I look back on my own story, I think it happened when it needed to for me. There were things that I learned along the way that maybe that was the only way I could have learned, that I can't control it, that I have no power over. It. All of these things that I tried on my own until I came to the realization that I can't do anything about it. That's one of the beautiful things about this healing process is that there's no right way of doing it. It's when you're ready. It's what's right for you. Exactly. So when did you, at what point did you reach out for support and healing for yourself? When did you recognize that you needed that? 
And how did you go about doing that? I don't know that I slept that night after everything blew up. I did not reach out for individual counseling, but I did immediately tell him, you need to get a session with Jason Martinkus and you need to get into counseling immediately. I also spent that night looking through their website. There's so much good help online. So I spent the night looking through the website. I signed up for a betrayal healing conference shortly after that time. I was in a support group not long after that. And I think between the counseling that we got and the support group, that kept me alive, that kept my head above water and it kept my heart breathing. Yeah. I love that there are support groups and especially these online support groups. If you were living in an area that was so secluded, right? At that time. And I was living, when I confronted everything, I was living in Alaska and that was widely secluded as well. And there was not a lot of professional support in that state. So there are so many online resources, which is such a blessing now to be able to access those when you do live in remote locations where it's hard to find people who have an understanding of how to work through it. And I think that's so key. Speaking as a counselor, I have so much respect for my fellow counselors, but this is not something that counselors are trained for. In fact, I know in my degree program, a marriage counseling class wasn't even required. So you have a lot of counselors out there who are wonderful people and well-meaning and have absolutely no idea what they're doing. And pastors as well, or priests or bishops, there's a lot of people who care, but this is a very specialized thing and healing is very counterintuitive. And a lot of times what I see is that it is blamed on the wife or it's blamed as a 50-50 marriage issue. This is not a marriage issue. As soon as he crosses over that line, it's a betrayal issue. So finding the right help is so key. And there are a lot for those remote areas. Thankfully, there's teletherapy now where you could find somebody really good halfway across the country, which I'm so grateful for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So were you practicing as a counselor for betrayed spouses prior to this? No. So this was a specialty that you moved into after experience this yourself. It was. My focus has always been trauma. So it's not a far cry with betrayal trauma. So I always did trauma and PTSD and EMDR, that sort of thing. But no, betrayal wasn't anywhere on my radar. And to be honest, I went into focusing on this a little kicking and screaming. I was not one of those women who said, I just want my story to matter and to be put to good use. I was not one of those. I was like, my story can die a thousand deaths and I don't care. I'm not telling anyone. So I really went into this a little kicking and screaming, but the door just opened. And as I got a little bit more comfortable, I stepped through it and then more doors opened and I maybe reluctantly, but stepped through it until it really it is just a passion of mine now to help wives who have gone through this because it is such a hard journey. And I don't want any woman to struggle alone. This is not a journey you want to do by yourself. And the beautiful thing now is that with my experience as a counselor and now as a coach helping wives as well, when I went through it, I felt like I was falling through a black hole. 
I felt like life was shattered. I didn't know which way was up. I didn't know what was true. I didn't know if I was moving forward or backward. I had no idea. But now from this side of things, there are absolutely patterns. And while there's no one path, there are phases, there are very predictable things along the way that help me now as I work with women and help give them grounding of going, okay, I I know where I'm at. I know what I need to do. I know where I'm going and I can point them in the right direction. And so I'm, I'm just so deeply passionate about this now. I love that. Both Naomi and I have come to that place too, where we just are really passionate about helping other women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this podcast has been that avenue that we've taken and it has extended out into my local area just a little bit, not a ton, just in, in the aspect that, that it has, I'm glad to be of help anywhere that I can and offer resources anywhere that I can, because like you said, nobody should go through this alone. It's so, it's such an isolating thing anyways. And then to have to try and figure it out on your own seems impossible. So as a counselor, what is your approach in helping women heal after betrayal? So I am very pro-marriage if the marriage can be healed and the wife wants to stay in the marriage. But my focus is actually not with the couples. My husband is actually now a counselor and a coach. He deals with the couples. I focus on the wives and helping them heal whether their marriage makes it or not. And I believe that there is healing from betrayal and that there's good life after this, that there's joy, that there's beauty, there's purpose, there's adventure in life. So part of my process is to help women embrace their worth and value, to find their voice, really to build this internal strength as they walk through what I see as four phases of this healing process. So I walk with her beside her help her learn how to trust herself again, help her to set healthy boundaries, helping her to recognize and to respond to gaslighting, to know that she can take up her space in this world, whether relationally or physically, financially, sexually, you name it. So part of what I do is very much an empowerment piece. The other part is really walking beside her as she's dealing with the the day-to-day, week-by-week, month-to-month issues that come up with her husband. And there are pretty predictable phases. Not that it's linear. Healing is never straight line A to B. Boy, I, I wish it was. There's a lot of circling back and cycling through and re-grieving and all of that. But helping her stay on track, helping her point her in the right direction and saying, hey, you're doing this. You got to keep going. You got to keep going in this area. Or here's some tools or here's some things to look at. Or, hey, I think you're stuck in this area. I think that's why you're not moving forward. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that and let's see what's going on and get unstuck and keep going. So it's a very one-on-one tailored process that I use both my personal experience and my clinical skills with to catch it from all sides. On this one-on-one, how many women do you generally work with at a time? I have my counseling practice, which is a little bit separate from this. The counseling practice is, uh, it's a group practice. It's more broad. So I have some women, probably 25% of my caseload is betrayal trauma. And then I also have my coaching business and that's 100% betrayal trauma. 
So I would say all in all, probably 50%, 50 to 75% per month of my caseload at any time is working with wives through this. So as you work with women, tell us a little bit about where you see women get stuck in the healing process. Absolutely. The beautiful thing about counseling and about coaching or having this perspective is that there are patterns in human behavior that are stunning to me. There are things that men in this process say all across the country who have never met each other. They say the exact same things so many times. It just blows my mind. But same with women in healing through this is that there are patterns and there are also with those patterns, there's common areas that women get stuck that I see. Of course, this is a much longer discussion we could have, but the five main areas, the five most common ways that I see wives get stuck, and not everybody does, but these are common ways, is one is shame. Like somehow this is my fault. I'm not enough. I would say the vast majority of us feel that at some point. I know I did, but there's somewhere it can suck them deeper into not being able to focus, not being able to put the blame where it lies with their husband and really getting stuck in that shame area where the focus becomes centered. That's one way that I see women get stuck. Another way I see women get stuck is with emotions particularly anger. And I am such a big fan of anger in this process because it's protective and because it gives us strength and it gives us the motivation we need to create boundaries or to say hard things or take hard stands. So it's really important. But where I see anger can get stuck is that some women will shove it. They just don't want to deal with it. Or some women rage. And either one of that, it keeps them stuck and and doesn't allow them to heal through the process. And there's a lot of reasons that this happens, largely because as women, we're told we're not supposed to be angry. Anger is one of the few emotions that men are socially allowed to have. And anger is one of the emotions that women are not allowed to have. So helping women move into the zone where they are feeling and expressing and processing their anger is where I help take them. Do you feel like there's shame associated with the anger as well? A lot of times, absolutely. I really struggled with anger. That was when I really struggled because I was always told I was not supposed to be angry. Or if I made somebody else angry, then I was supposed to fix it. Owning your anger is important. And a lot of times, too, where I see women get stuck is when they've seen anger not expressed well, particularly in their family of origin, where anger had been really scary. And so there's just usually a lot of baggage for most of us that goes into anger. Oh, yeah. Once they can move through that and get flowing with their anger, it becomes a really powerful, productive, healthy force. Something that's been really helpful for me in being able to identify really what's going on associated with the anger is that Gottman iceberg. Have you seen that? The Gottman iceberg has anger up at the top, but underneath are all these other emotions. And so when I can tap into those other emotions, then I can articulate better what I'm experiencing and feeling. Yes. It's anger at the top, but underneath there's something deeper that's going on. So I love that Gottman Gottman iceberg. Absolutely. So the third thing. The third one 
And this one is, is a little counterintuitive, is focusing on his emotions. And what I see is that there is oftentimes there's a tipping point, usually early on, where spoken or unspoken, the question is whose emotions are going to get center stage? Is it going to be the wife's and her pain? Or is it going to be his emotions of feeling his shame and feeling bad and not liking you being angry? And what happens is that if the focus goes to the husband's emotions, it turns into, respectfully speaking, it turns into a pity party where he's all focused on him and where he's at and everything gets focused right inside of him. So his process really shuts down. As soon as he goes inward and he is to a pity party place, his healing is shutting down. The healing of the marriage doesn't move forward at that point, and he can do nothing to help you heal as the wife when he's focused on that. Oh, that's so important. And I loved how you articulated that in words for me, because that is so common. Yes. And we all want to be good wives and good wives before betrayal. If your husband's hurting, you want to help him. So the, mm -hmm. that's part of the counterintuitive and piece and rescue. Absolutely. And think maybe I can just help him through it. But in reality, it shuts everything down. On the flip side, if the focus goes to the wife and her pain and he can lean into the empathy he can really understand like the devastation that it has caused the wife, then his emotional tolerance grows, his ability to connect with the wife and help her heal grows. The marriage has a chance of healing. And honestly, he actually can heal through that as well. Because sex addiction is not about really sex. At right. the core a lot of it is that they never dealt with their negative emotions. And so they've always run and hid and numbed out from their negative emotions. Nathaniel and I joke about this a lot because as we were going through this and I very much, I felt that teeter-totter for a while where I focused on him and then I went back to focusing on my healing and my emotions. And then we tell you as wives, we have to do that for us to heal and for our souls to process. But with that was a lot of anger. And our counselor told Nathaniel at one point, he said, Nathaniel, she is doing you a favor by being angry at you and expressing that. And he was like, what are you talking about? But in that process, he needed that because he had to learn real fast how to develop that emotional strength inside of him, how to reach out to his safe male friends to help him in that process, how to empathize with me. And so he looks at it now and says, that helped my process, which is so counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many things about this process are counterintuitive because like you said, going to, going to just any counselor isn't enough because like you said, a lot of them aren't trained to help these areas. They have no understanding of what betrayal trauma is and how to help a couple that has experienced this. And then a lot of times you get that therapy induced trauma as well, because they're wanting you to connect when it's not safe to connect. So many things that are just in a normal, normal issue marriage. Yes, that would be effective. But in this case, it just causes more harm than good. So absolutely, man, I can't tell you how many wives by the time they make it into my office have been so hurt 
by counselors who are well-meaning, but who exactly that wanted them. You need to be having sex with them all the time, whether it's safe or not. You need to be vulnerable with him, whether he is safe or not. And I just so agree with what you said. So I would imagine that there are many of our listeners out there who unfortunately don't have husbands who are able to lean into that pain, which even makes the pain more difficult to deal with. And I'm just wondering what you might suggest for these listeners. First of all, you are not alone. The way my husband handled things, that was the anomaly. Most husbands really struggle in this area. And I am so sorry because it is pain upon pain when your husband can't hear you and can't take that on and empathize with you. And that is really more of the common. So a couple thoughts with that. One, if it's not safe, then be careful what you say. Then you may need to find somebody else. You may need to find a counselor or a safe friend who really gets it or a support group where they understand and they can take your anger and listen to it and hear it. But it is really important to get it out. In, I believe it was David Clark's book, What to Do When Your Spouse Says I Don't Love You Anymore. Tough title. But one of the things that was so helpful in my journey is he talks about the well of your soul and about how when your husband discloses all this or you find it all out, like all of this nasty and this vile is dumped into the well of your soul. And as wives, we have to pump it out because otherwise it just festers and it just destroys us. And so pumping it out is asking questions. It's saying what you need to say. It's getting those emotions out. And yes, ideally, if your husband is safe and he will take it, that is the best place. But if he's not, it still needs to come out. But maybe that's journaling. Man, I journaled like my life depended on it in the beginning. And it was just, ooh, it was raw. It was raw. And there was a lot. But telling other people who really understand and you can cry with or you can be angry with, it's just very important. But you are not alone. You are not alone. And one other thing I would say is that if he is in that spot, he really does need a good counselor who gets it because men struggle to move to that place of empathy and being able to take that anger by themselves. But it is possible if he can get the help he needs. I love that. Yeah. I think that group kind of support is so helpful because you have so many women who can validate how you're feeling you can say, absolutely. Yeah, you should be feeling that. (laughs) And it's okay to feel that. I think those are the most helpful having that feedback from other people, because like you said, so many of these cultural beliefs that are instilled in girls and women that we aren't allowed to get mad. We aren't allowed to be uncomfortable. We aren't allowed to say no or have boundaries or tell people that, yeah, that does make me uncomfortable. We have to say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. And that realization, now that I'm understanding that, it just makes me so mad. (laughs) I'm feeling that anger. Yes, (laughs) I'm trying to teach my daughters, no. And, And even my sons, no means no. And if you think you might be making somebody uncomfortable, it is not their job to tell you that they are comfortable when they're not. You have every right to say, actually, yeah, that does make me uncomfortable. And I don't want to do this right now. Amen. (laughs) Because 
yeah, because I think culture is just so whacked in that area. And that's a whole nother topic is just what you mentioned is now taking what we learned and teaching our kids. Man, my kids are so tired of me saying you have great worth and value and trust your guts and boundaries are good. They're like, okay. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. It's a great way to empower the next generation with more healthy tools. Anything else that you see women getting stuck with? Yeah, two other main stock points that I see, and this one can be really confusing for wives as well, but this idea, but he's doing so much work. I get this a lot with wives and it's the idea of recovery activity by itself means nothing. If they're doing recovery activity and it is changing their character, if they are becoming more empathetic and more humble and dealing with their emotions, then fantastic. The more the merrier. But I see so many wives get stuck and get really confused of like, the list off all the things he's doing. He's going to this recovery group and he's going to an essay meeting and he has counseling and we're doing this, but there's no change in him. But they get to this place. I don't know what else to ask him to do. So the problem is not in the activity and the amount of activity, but it's helping empower wives that what you're asking for is change. What you're asking for is character change and heart change. And it doesn't matter how much or how little he's doing, if he is not getting that heart change, then nothing's truly happening. Yeah. Helping empower wives there. That's a lot of women get stuck there. Yeah. I I can so relate because my husband, he likes to share all the things he's doing, but there's no heart change within him. And that's something that I know and can determine. Yes. Yeah. He wants to try to convince me Hmm. that it's happening. And it's something you feel. You can feel. It's it's more of something you feel rather than something that like what you talked about, Tammy, was like the check boxes. He's just checking boxes. Yes. Here's my list of things to do. I'm checking off the boxes. Tell me what to do so I can check off all your boxes so we can get back to normal. And that's one of those things that I'm like, I don't have a checklist for you. You're going to have to figure this out. That's been my, that's been my motto. No, I'm not going to give you a list of things to do. You are going to figure out what you need to do to change you, to be a better you, because it's about you. It's not about what I want. It's about what you want to do and what you want to change and what you want to become. And then when you are that person, I will feel the difference in my interactions, the way you speak, the way you approach all of these things the actions toward me are going to speak louder than any boxes you're checking off. Totally. And that is one of the lines that men all across the country say, just tell me what you want me to do. No, you (laughs) exactly what you said. You need to figure this out. It is on the men to figure out what they need to do and get the help they need. It's not on us to help or to fix them. We can't. There's no way. Yeah. I love one of the things that Maurice says, who is the director of life-changing services. And he says, they can Google just as well as you can. There's help out there. And if they want it, they can find it. And I'm like, yes, they absolutely can. They managed to Google all the other stuff. That's so true. Oh, that was (laughs) profound what you just said. Yes. They seem to put a lot of energy into ways they can deceive their wives, but yet they can't put the energy into... Having to fix them. So the fifth stuck point that 
is again counterintuitive and again not everybody gets gets stuck here but it's the question of should i stay or should i go and let me start out by saying that is a really important question that all wives need to wrestle through like they need to know for themselves why are they staying for now or why are they leaving where it becomes a stuck point is when it becomes all consuming when everything that happens is viewed through the lens of okay, now I need to decide. No, now I need to decide. Now I need to decide. And it shuts down the the healing process. So a lot of times what I'll say in that point is, okay, set a timeframe that feels okay for you and say, I'm going to table this decision for now until this period of time. And I'm going to lean fully into this process, my own healing process, maybe the couples, if he's leaning in, is there as well. And then come back to it at at this date with all the information that you've gathered. And then maybe you can make a decision then. Or maybe the decision is to push that back another three months or six months and then look at it again. But that's a subtle way that things can get stuck. Yeah. Thank you. Those are great points. Yes. In this whole process of helping women heal, what are the resources that you suggest that have been most helpful for you? The ones that have been most helpful, without a doubt, counseling was. We actually did twice a week counseling for months. And even then I was like, oh, I don't know if I can wait four more days when we were (laughs) at the crisis point. Having that person who gets it and who can help walk you through it and who can keep the wife safe in the process, it's really important. That was by far the most helpful. We would not be where we are today had we not had the counseling that we did. And so I'm so grateful for that. My support group, I got into a support group just a couple months in and oh my gosh, so helpful. Those women walked with me. I would come and process and cry and ask my questions and get feedback. And they have become lifelong friends. Like we are now, I think we just celebrated like our sixth anniversary and every other Wednesday night for the last six years, I've gotten on the same phone call with you. I haven't even met some of them in person, man, they can speak into my heart. Like few people can, because they have gone through the depths and back with me. So if you can get into a support group, it is so helpful. I think it is also helpful because there are things that we doubt and question about ourselves. Insecurities, oh my gosh, they are like, it's around steroids when you've had betrayal. <laughs> Everything you yeah. ever thought about yourself, insecurity-wise, it's, it feels like it's all true now. And so mm-hmm. to be able to see something else in one of the other women who's struggling with the same thing and going, well, I know that's not true about you. And maybe if that's not true about you, maybe that's not true about me either. Like maybe Mm -hmm. it wasn't my fault. So there's just so much camaraderie and you need women around you in this process, safe women. So counseling support groups, big one. Honestly, I don't know that this is a resource, but journaling is so important. I think it was for me. I just let everything out in my journal. And especially when I had no one else to talk to, or there were things that I'm not sure I wanted to come out of my mouth towards other people. I just poured (laughs) my soul and my pain into a journal. And I thought it was so helpful for me. And then also 
books, podcasts. I love them because they are a safe entry point. They're a safe entry point. The two books, honestly, that have been by far the most helpful for me was Jason Martinkus's book, Worthy of Her Trust. It not only holds the men to the fire, but it it raises the standard. And as wives, it shows us where our standards can be. And he gets the wife's perspective. And so the wives are very taken care of in that process. And then the other, the workbook that I went through in my small group was done by his wife, Shelly Martinkus, and it's called Rescued. That was really helpful for me to process as well. It's meant to be done in a group, but you can certainly do it by yourself. But again, just having those questions and having those thought prompts to keep you moving through your process, those were the most helpful things for me. I love it. Yeah, that Worthy of Her Trust was really helpful. Yes. Uh, it was very validating the book. And I remember the moment I gave the book to my husband, he was standing outside our door and I literally shoved it into his chest and said, read this. Yes. <laughs> because it just validated my experience and then also what he needed to do. This is a great book for women to read, to know whether or not their husband is really changing. That is so true. And I think that is such a big question for wives is, how do I know my husband is changing? How do I know it's really, he's really changed? For sure. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've just been great to have on the podcast. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. If people are wanting to get in touch with you, where would you direct them to? Probably the best place would be my website and it's betrayalhealing.com. And I have a free gift for your listeners. Is that okay? Absolutely. So one of the things I think is so important is the empowering messages that we give ourselves. So we have to replace. And we have no time as moms, a lot of us, or just trying to work through this process. I had a coloring sheet designed, one of the, kind of the adult coloring sheets designed that have a lot of really empowering words like you are enough. You get to take up space in this world. Boundaries are good so that a wife or a woman can sit down with it when you have a spare moment, pull out those crayons or those coloring sticks and just soak in those messages as you reconnect with the creativity and the beauty around you. Everyone can reach that at betrayalhealing.com forward slash color. That is so awesome. I love that because that's one of my self-care things when I don't have homework and other things that I'm working on to sit down, put a podcast on and color. Mm. And I think it's so therapeutic. So I love that you're offering that to our listeners. So thank you for that. That's amazing. You're welcome. And you have a retreat coming up too, don't you? Yes. COVID has slowed things down, but in 2022, then I'm going to be taking women who have been betrayed. We're going to do a retreat to Paris. And Paris, it's my happy place. I lived for a while overseas. And so I'd go there by myself to connect with myself and connect with God. So a couple years ago, after life blew up, I started taking solar retreats back to Paris. And it is powerful to re-engage with life and beauty and adventure. So I just roam the streets of Paris and it's beautiful. The last time I did a photo shoot 
in front of the Eiffel Tower, not because I felt particularly beautiful, but because I wanted to say to myself that I have worth and value and I am leaning back in, I'm leaning through the lies and I'm leaning back into my beauty. So there's just so much power in getting out of the norm and engaging with other women who get it and reconnecting with yourself. There's so much of this process. We have to reconnect with ourselves and rediscover life. So I can't wait till we get to do that. I love that. That sounds really fun. It does. And maybe I'll sign up and go because I would love to go and (laughs) connect with women in Paris. That would be incredible. So what was the lure of Paris for you? I lived in Geneva for a while and I could get on a train and go over for the weekend pretty easily. And so that's when I fell in love with it. And I love the solitude and silence. Honestly, I love the fact that everyone is talking around me, but it's this beautiful, melodic sound, but it doesn't pull my attention the way that English does. So I can just go and soak it in. It's just wonderful. It's beautiful. Everyone should go. That's awesome. Thank you again. We so appreciate all of your thoughts and everything that you had to share. I know you have so much more to share with us. So we will have you back on again for sure. (laughs) I would love to. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, if you would like to enroll in an online therapist-led support group. We'll see you next time.